hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Stocks have rallied for eight weeks in a row. It's amazing. I think it's in large part due to a more patient Fed or what we think is going to be a more patient Fed, the avoidance of another government shutdown and some easing concerns regarding a trade war with China. Yes, some of the economic data has been mixed here, but I think we're just going through a soft patch. What I find really encouraging is the S&P has been flirting with its 200-day moving average. And that's an important indicator for traders and market technicians. The next step, the next step is breaking 2,800 on the S&P 500. That's where resistance could quickly turn into support. That's what's been the most significant change that I've seen over the last few weeks. When, when I look under the hood of the market now, I like what I see. I like what I see. We've had what's become a very broad-based rally. And this is very different than last year when the stock market breath that's when the number of advancing stocks compared to the number of declining stocks. The stock market breadth last year had gotten really narrow. That means that only a few companies were really doing well. Now, we're seeing the opposite. Since the December lows, we had two days of upside volume that outpaced the downside volume by better than 10 to 1. And that's unusual. That doesn't happen very often. The New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ weekly advanced decline lines, well, they've hit new highs. And last Friday, 92%, 92% of the S&P 500 stocks were trading above their 50-day moving average. And this doesn't happen every day either. According to Ned Davis Research, when breath is this strong, the market is always higher a year later. Hopefully, they're right this time, too. Under the hood? Under the hood looks great. As for the fundamentals, there have been three catalysts that I've been looking at. The Fed, earnings, and what I call resolutions. Let me take them in order here. The Fed? Well, it appears that the Fed has stepped out of the picture here. If you take them at their word, they're going to be much more patient when it comes to raising rates going forward. As a matter of fact, the market has almost completely priced out any rate hikes for this year, and you've seen the yield on the 10-year treasury fall. Remember, higher rates mean more competition for stocks, and looks like the competition is taking a breather right now. Earnings? Well, analysts have been slashing estimates across the board. It's been pretty broad-based. I think that for the next quarter or two, you'll see some volatility in earnings. But I think come the second half of the year, you'll see these earnings pick up back to new highs. And the third catalyst, the third catalyst is what I've been referring to as resolution. And resolution, I mean, the things like the lingering government shutdown, which we've had resolution some sort of resolution or at least more clarity around the U.S.-China trade negotiations. Every time we get more clarity or more resolution, you should see the market respond positively. 
the market doesn't like uncertainty. When things are uncertain or less predictable, well, you should pay less for it. You'd pay more for a car that starts every morning, right? So to sum this up, the technicals look great. The Fed is on hold. Earnings growth has slowed. And the analysts don't expect big things out of stocks, which could lead to positive surprises later this year. And any good news on the trade front would be great news. We may have a bumpy ride for a while, but I'll take it because that's what gives us opportunities. Focus on buying high quality businesses at good prices. And if someone tells you anything different, if they tell you that price doesn't matter, get as far away from them as you possibly can. Let's spend a couple of minutes talking about the drug stocks. I like to split them into two subcategories here. You have the big farmers on one side and the biotechs on the other. And I'm a believer that you should have a core type holding in the big pharma space. I like Johnson & Johnson because they're well diversified. But even a Merck symbol MRK, which we also own, Merck would do the trick too. You have those. And then, and then if you want, you can add a biotech. And that's great. I wouldn't own a biotech just on its own. It's too risky for me. The biotechs have been the center of attention here recently because Bristol Myers announced that they were going to buy Celgene, which is, in my opinion, has put the whole sector into play. This may not be the only deal because it looks to me like the big guys, the big pharmas are hungry and they need to replenish their drug pipeline. On top of that, the the biotechs look to be pretty inexpensive as a group. Over the next five years, the biotechs are expected to trail the overall market profit or profit growth by 4% a year. They're going to grow 4% less a year for the next five years. And that's according to BCA research. To me, that's really pessimistic. And the stocks are priced that way. The group is trading at about a 25% discount to the S&P forward PE multiple. As a matter of fact, The biotech index now has a higher dividend yield than the S&P 500. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and you just buy them all. You don't do, no, no, you don't go out and buy them all because some of them, well, they deserve to be cheap because their futures don't look all that great. But there are some worth looking at. I've owned one now uh, for a while, Regeneron, symbol R-E-G-N which I think is a really, really good company, but it's trading for more than I want to, to pay right now. But you could look at something like Amgen, symbol AMGN. And growth, the reality is growth could probably be hard to come by in the near term, but it's also trading at 12 to 13 times this year's earnings guess, and it's paying a 3% dividend while you wait. They have a great balance sheet and balance sheets matter. On the other side of this would be the big pharmas. Pharma prices, drug prices have hit a wall here over the last four years where before the last 20 years, they just kept going up and up and up. And that's why I really liked them. And I didn't like the generics because generic drug prices just kept going down, down and down and down. So Drug prices have hit a wall here over the last few years, and it's at a point now 
where it's barely keeping up with inflation. And not to mention that both Democrats and Republicans are united and probably about the only thing they're united on. They're united in bringing down health care costs and drug prices in general. That's bad news for the big pharmas. You would think that lower revenues would lead to lower profits for the drug companies. And what's been happening is the drug companies need to replenish their pipelines with new drugs. It's a constant thing. And what better way to do it than to go out and buy a biotech company? So there's been this race going on to drive uh, buy the drug pipelines of the biotechs, which could turn into, well, or could lead to weaker balance sheets for the big pharmas because when there's competition to buy them, well, the prices go up and meaning it's going to cost them more. I'd hold my quality holdings like Johnson & Johnson and Merck, but if I was looking to add some exposure to the drug sector, I'd look first at some of the biotechs and see if any of those may see, suit your needs. You always need to do your own research. Don't take my word for it. Find out what's appropriate for you. We need to step away, take a break here. When we come back, I want to catch up on a couple of stocks that we own. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing, and we are back in a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. If you're looking for a conservative value manager to help you with your planning and investing needs, well, please consider us. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, you can visit us at xmlfg.com. Once again, it's xmlfg.com. Let's catch up on some of the companies we talked about over the last several months. First up, Cisco, symbol CSCO. They released earnings uh, a couple of weeks ago. Cisco trading close to $50, carrying uh, what's now a just over a 2.8% dividend. Cisco is the networking and software provider, not the food service giant. So you don't want to get those confused. Symbol CSCO. And I've said in the past that Cisco is a good company. It's been a staple in the portfolio for maybe the last five or 10 years. I mentioned it on the annual outlook about a month ago, month and a half ago. And if you can believe it or not, if you bought Cisco almost 20 years ago, you're still underwater. You haven't made any money. That's because price matters. At that time, investors were willing to pay an arm and a leg for the perceived astronomical growth, which of course didn't materialize. The lesson is, is you don't 
just pay anything because a stock is going up. You pay reasonable prices for good companies. So Cisco released their January quarter results, and I thought that they were pretty darn good. Revenue grew about 7% year over year, which is what I think you can expect out of them over the long term. Adjusted earnings were up about 16%. They continue to make progress in shifting their business model from one-off sales to a more subscription-based, a a reoccurring revenue model. And I'm willing to pay more for a business that has reoccurring revenue because I believe it to be more predictable. Software subscriptions were 65% of total software revenue, which was up about 10% year over year. And that's a nice increase as software as a percentage of the total revenue is expected to grow from where it is now at 22% to more than 30% over the next three years. I like that kind of progress. What I think some people were surprised about and That was that management said that they saw no impact, no impact from the government shutdown or tariffs. Only about 25% of government agencies were impacted by the shutdown. And some of those pulled their orders forward once they heard that a stoppage was imminent. So government sales that were expected to be weak actually ended up growing double digits. And what I like about Cisco for a while now is not just the resiliency of their technology and their business model, but that they've also been shareholder friendly. They just increased their quarterly dividend by 6% to 35 cents a share. In the past five years, that dividend has increased on average 26% per year. That's on average. They also bought back about $5 billion worth of shares this past quarter and increased their buyback program by $15 billion. I think that when you put these pieces together, that 6% type growth, that 2.5-3% dividend, and you throw in some stock buybacks, well, then you have a really good total return type investment. With that said, People have noticed that Cisco is firing on all cylinders now, and the stock has moved up about 20% since the December lows. My buy price had been at 44, but I'm going to bump that up a bit to where I'd buy it now under $46. Hey, I'm still cheap. I know it's close to 60, but or 50, but if you get a pullback to 46, I'd be looking at Cisco. Another stock that I talked quite a bit about is Berkshire Hathaway, symbol BRK. We buy the B shares, so it's BRKB. And that's Warren Buffett's company. And the reason I bring it up today is to remind you that next Saturday or this coming Saturday is when they release his annual letter to shareholders. And I think this is a must read for everyone. If you only read one thing this whole year, well, this should be it. And Berkshire also filed their 13F. And if you're not familiar with what a 13F is, it's the filing that managers need to do with the SEC to disclose their holdings, or at least those holdings over $100 million. Now, keep in mind that this filing is kind of like old news, so to speak, because it doesn't tell you what they're doing now. It tells you what they did last quarter. 
but it does give you some insight as to what these managers may be thinking. I like looking at these files because every once in a while, I get a good idea out of them, seeing what other folks are doing. If you're interested, there's a decent website. It's datarama.com. Once again, it's datarama.com. And they do a pretty good job at compiling some of these value managers' filings. And according to Berkshire's filing, well, they bought a whole bunch of financials this last quarter. They increased their holdings in JP Morgan by 40%, by in PNC Financial by 35%. They also bought some more US Bank Corp, Bank of New York. They added to their travelers positions. Financials are now about 40% of Buffett's equity holdings. They did some uh, sell some Wells, Wells Fargo, but that was to keep the position under 10%, which they need to do. Outside of the banks, they added a good bit of General Motors and they sold off their position in Oracle. Now, there is speculation by some who noticed that Berkshire's purchases were a little lighter this quarter compared to the previous quarter. Berkshire bought less than a billion dollars worth of stock for the quarter. That's net compared to more than 12 billion in the previous quarter. That leaves people wondering how much of their own stock that they bought back instead of buying uh, more JP Morgan or what have you, maybe they use that money to buy their own stock. If you remember, Berkshire went down to about $190, which was well below where they said they'd be buying buying it. I guess we'll find out here shortly. Earnings are out on Friday and the letter is out on Saturday. The last stock I'll talk about today is CarMax, symbol KMX. And I started talking about this one last uh, last year at about this time. And the stock is basically at the same place um, where it was, just like a lot of stocks. I still like the business for the long term. And you might want to take a look at it. CarMax has a pretty unique business model. There have been a few good companies that have tried to replicate what CarMax has done, but they haven't been quite able to pull it off. CarMax is the nation's largest used car retailer. They go out and they buy used cars, they recondition them, and then they sell them into the used car markets, mostly retail. The cars that don't meet the CarMax standard, well, they get sold off through wholesale auction. And the mix is about 85% retail and about 15% is wholesaling. And there are a number of reasons why I like CarMax. One, when you walk into a CarMax, you get this transparent buying experience. I hate I hate going to the car dealer because I'm afraid I'm going to spend hours there with the salesperson who's constantly telling me they'll, they'll go check with their manager. I, I just like the experience. I know that when I go into a CarMax, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy. There's there's no endless haggling over price. You also have quick trade-in appraisals, and they make an offer on every appraisal they do. It's just a completely different experience. I think that they have a superior business model compared to their competitors. And the second reason is, right now, they're in about 55 U.S. markets, And they estimate that they have about 5% of the market share in the markets that they serve. So 
they have a lot of opportunity to expand. I think that they're only halfway built out across the U.S., so they could maybe double their locations over the next several years. They only have about 3% of the total market, so there's a lot more to capture. The third reason is that they're profitable in every market they're in, so they have a replicable, scalable business model. And of course, there's always the valuation part of it. I think that they're going to earn around $5 a share this year. And with the share price at $62 now, that means that they're trading at about 12 times earnings. And they haven't been this cheap in 15 years. At the same time, over the last five years, earnings have grown at better than 13.5% per year on average. So they're really cheap and they're still growing. The reason they can grow their earnings like this is because they have a better operating system that's built to leverage its unique information advantage to buy and sell at profitable uh, prices. Basically, they know more about their business and their markets than anyone else does. I think it's a buy. That's about all we have time for today. We'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.